0: To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoy this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Are you supposed to say the sacred name? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Hello, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. The Bible says to call on the name of the Lord, to praise and bless his name. But there's a problem because Lord isn't actually his name. When you see the word Lord in capital letters in your Bible, That's really a stand-in for something else. There's a very important Hebrew name under there, and a very important reason why translators have put another word in its place. Today I want to talk about the sacred name of God, what it is, why it's been obscured, whether we can still determine its pronunciation, and the problem created by believers who are insistent on speaking and pronouncing it often militantly so, some even considering it a requirement for salvation. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the name I'm talking about is what's known academically as the Tetragrammaton, which literally means four letters, and refers to the four-letter name of God, consisting of the Hebrew letters Yud, He, Vav, and He, the Vav being believed at one time to be a waw. The name occurs in the Hebrew Scriptures over 6,800 times and is therefore widely considered to be the personal name of God. You'll find this name represented in most English Bibles as LORD in capital letters, sometimes in the King James Bible as Jehovah, and in some Messianic Jewish Bibles as Adonai, also in capital letters. In Judaism, you may see it written as L-RD or G-D or referred to simply as Hashem, which in Hebrew literally means the name. I'll be referring to it as yud Vavhe throughout the episode. Where all this fuss over the name starts is in a misapplication of Torah commands, beginning with what's commonly known as the third of the Ten Commandments. In both Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 and Deuteronomy 5.11, it says, Do not take the name Of Yudhe Vavhe, your God, to emptiness or in vain, for Yudhe Vavhe will not acquit him who takes his name to emptiness. While the third commandment is colloquially used to say that God's name shouldn't be used as a swear or curse word, it's actually a bit broader than that. The idea of taking his name to emptiness or in vain, is about rendering the name of God null and void and meaningless through our words and actions. We get a couple of hints at how we might misuse God's name this way in the book of Leviticus. In chapter 19, verse 12, for example, God says to not swear to falsehood by my name, or you will have profaned the name of your God. I am Yudhe Vavhe. So we profane and take God's name to emptiness by making false oaths or attesting to something that's untrue by his name. Another indication of the meaning of taking his name to emptiness is found in Leviticus 24, verses 15 and 16, where Moses says, "When any man despises his God, then he will bear his sin. And he who is accursing or blaspheming the name of YHWH will be put to death absolutely. The whole community will stone him absolutely." As a sojourner, so a native, in his accursing the name, he will be put to death. So to accurse or blaspheme the name is to take it to emptiness, but by way of contempt and verbal violence. The Hebrew word here for accursing means to pierce or bore a hole through. So to accurse his name is to abuse it to the extent that it attacks it, making it ineffective ineffective. Or useless. And the punishment for this is as severe as it is for adultery or murder. If we bring God's name to emptiness, accursing his name, then the sentence is death. And from that judgment, there's no acquittal. Needless to say, the scriptures teach us that we're supposed to take the name of God extremely seriously and make sure that we not mishandle it either in our mouths or in our actions. So given the deadly consequences for accursing and taking his name to emptiness, Judaism eventually decided, probably by at least the 3rd century BC, that the best way to avoid abusing the name was to literally avoid speaking it altogether. This is the misapplication of the commands as reflected in the 1985 JPS translation of Leviticus 24.15 and 16. Anyone who blasphemes his God shall bear his guilt. If he also pronounces the name Lord, he shall be put to death. So as it is with much of the oral law, the sages placed this fence around the Torah in order to keep the people at arm's length from the actual commands. They took these extreme and uncommanded measures in order to keep the people from violating and profaning the word of God. The command to not take the name of God to emptiness then was distorted into a rule of over-reverence for the literal name itself. The real command became misrepresented to mean that the name should never even be spoken at all. This gave rise to the practice of substituting other biblical names of God in place of yud Vavhe especially during the public reading of the Torah. Two names in particular were used for this purpose. Adonai, which means master or Lord, and Elohim, usually translated God. Whether the actual pronunciation of a name survived for a while after its general discontinuance is in dispute. But eventually, by the Middle Ages, this practice of substituting other names for the sacred name became enshrined In the Hebrew Bible. Enter the Masoretic text with Nikudot, the vowel-pointing system. Now, the Masoretes were Jewish scribes, whose work all of our Old Testaments are now based on. And they developed a vowel-pointing system that we still see in Hebrew Bibles today. To oversimplify it, the Hebrew alphabet doesn't have vowels like A-E-I-O-U only consonants like B, G, S, or T, for example. The Masoretic system of dots and lines in and around the Hebrew letters was designed to preserve the ability to speak the Hebrew language by indicating vowel sounds, much the same way that the phonetic spelling of words in our modern dictionaries depict how English words are to be pronounced. But when it came to yud heh the Masoretes purposely mispointed the name. It was no secret that they did this, and it wasn't done with nefarious purposes. The reason for the mispointing was to simply prompt the reader to not attempt pronouncing Yudhe Vavhe, and instead say either Adonai or Elohim. And here's how they did it. Let's look at Adonai as an example. The word Adonai, of course, looks nothing like Yudhe and in the Masoretic text, it's pointed to indicate its vowel sounds a, o and I. For over fifty six hundred of the biblical occurrences of vav Vave, the Masoretes took only two of these vowel points and superimposed them onto the name. The reader would then be familiar with this coding, see vav Vave, but instead speak Adonai. If we tried pronouncing it as written, it actually doesn't make much sense because the vowel points are incomplete. It might give us something like yavah or yawah. And in about 75 occurrences, the Masoretes also include the vowel point for the O sound, as an Adonai. And for Christian scholars who were unaware of how the Masoretes handled the name, they proceeded to mispronounce the name as Yehovah or Jehovah. So that's completely incorrect. There's no God called Jehovah. Because again, the Masoretes never intended for the name to be pronounced using the superimposed vowel points. They used the Nikudot only as indicators that a completely separate word should be spoken. So while the letters Yudheh Vavheh remain in the text, it didn't get pointed like most every other word in the Hebrew Bible, with the vowel points needed for its actual pronunciation. And this is the crux of the problem concerning the name. Because the Jewish tradition of an ineffable, sacred name, followed by a writing system intended to preserve Hebrew pronunciation that purposely omits Hebrew pronunciation, leaves us without an authoritative way to say the name. And as a result, we now no longer know how to correctly say yod the full and true pronunciation has sadly been lost to antiquity. That's just the way it is. Now, despite this reality, some believers still maintain that the name's true pronunciation was never lost. In fact, the largely accepted scholarly pronunciation of the name is Yahweh, which is apparently reconstructed partly from Hebrew, partly from other Semitic languages— and partly from Greek transliterations found in early Christian writings. Nevertheless, despite putting this pronunciation forward, scholars still generally say that this is just their best guess, that we really can't know for sure. Because if we're truly honest with the Hebrew data of the Bible, if that's all we're looking at, which we should be, there's really not enough to go on. It remains inconclusive. While there are a few hints, we still just really don't know. Here's what we do know: we know that the clearly pointed name Yah occurs almost 50 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. Yud being the first two letters of the Tetragrammaton. It seems obvious that Yah is a shortened form of the name, and while it occurs sometimes as a standalone as in, my strength and song is Yah, Exodus 15.2, we most often find it at the end of the well-known word, hallelujah, meaning praise Yah. So Yah could be the first syllable in yod heh vav We also know the pronunciation of many Hebrew names that end with yod He and Vav, the first three letters of the Tetragrammaton. Names like Yeshayahu or Yirmeyahu, and Eliyahu, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Elijah. It retains the Ya sound of yod-he, then with the Vav adds the oo sound, making Yahu. So Yahu could be the pronunciation of the first three letters of the name. But guess what? We also know the pronunciation of names that begin with those same three letters, and the pronunciations are not all the same. While the ending yud vavs say Yahu, in the beginning ones we have names like Yehu, Yehuda, and Yehoshua, Jehu, Judah, or Joshua, and no, the Masoretes didn't mispoint these in a further effort to obscure the name. That doesn't even make sense. So for the first three letters of yud hevav, this now gives us four possible pronunciations: Yahu, Yehu, Yehu. And Yeho. Which one is most likely to be right? Your guess is as good as mine. Not to mention, there's still that one last he sitting at the end of the tetragrammaton. And from a Hebrew language standpoint, even if we could decisively determine which pronunciation of Yud Hevav is the right one, there's still nothing to compare the name to in all of Scripture that would then give us a hint as to what to do with that final. So the pronunciation of yud Vave really is lost. It didn't need to be. It's a shame that it is. But if we're sticking to the biblical Hebrew text as pointed by the Masoretes and the norms and rules of Hebrew linguistics, then this is the situation we're stuck with. But the good news is that the lost pronunciation of yud Vave and the inability to audibly speak it doesn't put us in any jeopardy. Or stop us from calling upon or proclaiming his name. Because while on the one hand, it's pretty self evident that in order to proclaim a name, you ought to be able to vocalize it, on the other hand, when the scriptures refer to calling upon or proclaiming or blessing or praising God's name, they're not explicitly commanding us to audibly speak the name, but are telling us to make known the person and works of God. Proclaiming his character and fame, and promoting his great reputation. It's not the act of articulation the commands are referring to, but the concept of relying upon and making known God's reputation and authority. We see this, for example, in passages like Deuteronomy 32:3. For I will proclaim the name of Yudhe Vavhe, ascribe greatness to our God. Proclaiming and ascribing greatness are parallel thoughts, with greatness being an attribute of God's reputation. We see the same type of parallelism also in Psalm 116, verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation, and on the name of YHWH I will call. Then there's Proverbs 18:10, which speaks to God's character. The name of YHWH is a tower of strength. The righteous run into it, And have been set on high. And also in Psalm 111, verse 9, it says, He has sent redemption to His people, He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. So, yes, it would be ideal to be able to literally pronounce the name as we proclaim it. But that's not what proclaiming and calling upon His name means. Can we not call upon Him if we're bound and gagged? Does the Bible not proclaim his name through the written word? It's God's reputation and character that we're being told to praise and promote. And we can still do this even if we don't know how to say the name. And yet some have said, but you can't know someone without knowing their name. So shouldn't we still do our best to pronounce it? Doesn't God want us to at least try even if we're wrong? Well, there are definitely many commands in Scripture that we don't know exactly how to do, but we still try to do them. But does pronouncing a name that we think is correct, or knowingly mispronouncing it, but saying we're doing the best we can, really accomplish the goal of pronouncing it? Is pronouncing the name so important that even getting close, but still mangling it, is really our best option? No it's not. Because there's actually a biblical alternative, not based on tradition, but from the word of God itself, that shows that we can legitimately address him without using his name. What if we're not only not required to pronounce the name, but it can be completely sufficient, appropriate, and acceptable not to? In Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, before Moses ascended Mount Sinai to receive the replacement set of stone tablets God said to him I will cause all my goodness to pass before your face and I will proclaim the name of YHWH to your face Then after Moses went back up the mountain it says in Exodus 34 beginning in verse 5 and YHWH came down in a cloud and himself took a stand with Moses there and he proclaimed the name of יהוה and יהוה passed over in front of his face and he proclaimed יהוה יהוה compassionate and merciful god slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth keeping loving kindness for thousands taking away guilt and violation and sin and will not acquit absolutely charging the guilt of fathers on their children and on their children's children on a third generation and on a fourth and moses hurried and he bowed down to the ground and he worshiped so no less than 3 times while standing in god's presence did god speak his name yhdhvhvhe to moses so moses heard the exact correct way to pronounce yhdhvhvhe right then immediately Following God's proclamation of his own name, that he is compassionate and merciful, and so on and so forth, Moses responds with reverent fear, hurrying to the ground in worship. When Moses would next speak to God in one of the most profound, intimate moments of his life, surely he would have been fully within the spirit of the moment to address the Creator according to his name now so clearly spoken in his ears. And yet, in the very next verse, Moses opens his mouth and speaks to the Creator, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, O Adonai, please let Adonai walk among us. Adonai, please walk among us. So in the literal presence of the Creator, Having audibly heard God Himself pronounce His name mere seconds before, Moses responds not by calling Him vav but Adonai. Again, this wasn't a deliberate alteration of the text by the Masoretes. No, there isn't a conspiracy to hide the sacred name of God. This is the deliverer Moses demonstrating how to directly address the Creator, not feeling the need to speak His name but still feeling its glorious weight. And yet, Moses isn't the only one to show us that we can use substitutions in place of God's name. Yeshua did it too. He did it every time in Matthew, for instance, when he referred to the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. Heaven is a substitution. In Matthew 26, 64, citing Psalm 110, he also says, From now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power, where the power is also a substitution for the name. And of course, the most obvious example is that whenever Yeshua would directly address God in prayer, and often when he would refer to him when he was speaking to others, Yeshua would say the word Father. And sometimes, perhaps the most intimate term of all, Abba. In Matthew chapter six, verse nine, for example, Yeshua taught his disciples, us, to pray by addressing the Creator. Our Father who is in the heavens, set apart is your name. And in Mark fourteen thirty six, in his most desperate hour of need, we hear the Son call out, not with the audible name of Yudhe Vavhe, but Abba, Father, all things are possible to you, but not what I will, rather what you will. So as extremely important as the sacred name of God is, if pronouncing it were that crucial, that critical, then why is there not a single record of Yeshua himself addressing God by that name? But more than that, he literally teaches us to approach God in prayer, saying, Our Father set apart is your name. He explicitly tells us to pray, not yod heh but Father. So despite the fact that Judaism and the Masoretes basically left us no choice where it comes to the pronunciation of the name, both Moses and Yeshua clearly show us that not only is it appropriate and acceptable to use biblical substitutions, but neither salvation nor our relationship with God nor our ability to fulfill his commands are in any way jeopardized by not pronouncing the name. The problem with saying the sacred name, or more accurately, trying to get close to pronouncing it, is that while it may start with a desire to restore something important that was lost, the personal practice of it, and sometimes militant advancement of it, often stems from a misrepresentation of the facts and a resistance to biblical remedies. And while I completely agree that we shouldn't make it a goal to uphold the Jewish tradition of not pronouncing the name, and that there's no biblical prohibition against saying it whatsoever, there are still multiple legitimate reasons why people should stop trying to do it. First, it brings unnecessary division and error. Especially in the Messianic and Hebraic Roots movements, speaking the sacred name is often coupled with the belief that saying it out loud is a requirement for salvation. This distortion of the scriptures leads other believers astray, turning the utterance of a name into a legalistic doctrine and creating needless controversy within the community. Second, it disregards Jewish sensitivities. Despite there being no validity to the Jewish tradition of not pronouncing the name, trying to speak it anyway unnecessarily risks further alienating Jewish unbelievers, making your belief in the Jewish Messiah that much more crazy and offensive to them. The execution stake of Messiah is offensive enough. We don't need to make it worse by speaking a name that doesn't need to be said. Third, while audible articulation of a name is the most obvious reason for even having one, Articulation here isn't the point, but rather making known God's reputation and authority. Proclaiming and calling upon the name isn't so much about literally uttering it as it is relying upon and promoting God's character and who he is. Even if we never once let the specific name come out of our mouths, we can still make known his power and attributes which is the entire reason for praising and proclaiming his name. Fourth, and this is really the most important reason, the pronunciation of his name is really lost. It started with Judaism's misguided tradition to protect and revere the name, and it ended with the Masorete's vowel-pointing system that enshrined that tradition in the Hebrew text forever. There was no conspiracy to blot out the name, and no nefarious design to lose it. Just a fatal flaw in an otherwise well-meaning system that happened to produce that very unfortunate result. That's reality. It was a colossal blunder, and now we all have to pay for that mistake. Because barring an act of God, recovering the authentic pronunciation of the name simply can't be done. But the good news is that fifth there are biblical alternatives to trying to say the name. And not just alternatives, but alternatives used and endorsed by Moses and the Master Yeshua himself. Not only do we see them calling him Adonai, the heaven, the power, and even being taught to pray Father, we also have the shortened form of the sacred name in Yah. We know exactly how Yah is pronounced, It's neither forbidden nor obscured. And if shouting hallelujah isn't a fully sufficient and acceptable way of praising and proclaiming his name, then I don't know what is. With substitutions and alternatives, the scriptures themselves have provided a viable, easily applicable solution to our problem. Rather than trivialize them, we should be embracing them as not only the best possible resolution available, but one that's completely appropriate, acceptable, and biblical. Because if we don't, the alternative is six. That when you say the name or think you're saying it, it actually risks violating the very Torah that you say you're trying to keep. Just like the Jewish tradition to avoid the name ended up taking things way too far, trying to restore the pronunciation of the name when we only have incomplete and contradictory data to restore it with also carries a risk, only worse. When you try to extract a pronunciation out of the Hebrew by frankensteining the biblical data along with extra-biblical sources and rationalization and a willful ignorance of Hebrew linguistics, you risk the very same mishandling emptiness and accursedness of the name that the scriptures warn us about. If you reduce the name to an intellectual puzzle or a doctrinal test, whether you intended it that way or not, is that not the definition of taking his name to emptiness? And if the argument is that no one wants their name mispronounced or substituted, so we need to do our best to pronounce it, then approximating it and hoping with fragmented evidence that we get it right is hardly the best solution. Messing with the name of God is potentially life-threatening, Torah-violating, and largely self-defeating. Because the fact of the matter is, not only is pronouncing the name not required, but God himself tells us that it's not his only name. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, standing before the burning bush, Moshe says to God, Look, I am going to the sons of Israel, and will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, What is his name? What should I say to them? And God said to Moshe, I am who I am. He also said, this is what you will say to the sons of Israel. I am, has sent me to you. And God said again to Moshe, This is what you will say to the sons of Israel. vav Vavhei, Elohei Avotechem, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov, has sent me to you. Adonai, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to generation after generation. In answer to Moses' question, What is his name? God directly responds, Not Yudhe Vavhe, but Eye Asher Ehyeh." Say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So is I am God's name? That seems to be what it says. Even Yeshua himself. Got into trouble in John eight fifty eight for ascribing this name I am to himself. Then in verse fifteen, when God does go on to speak Yod Hevavhe, that's not all he says. He doesn't say Yod Hevavhe has sent me to you, but Yod Hevavhe, God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial. By invoking the names of the patriarchs was God just including a parenthetical statement about himself? Maybe. Or maybe YHWH alone also isn't his name, but an abbreviation. Sure seems like it to me. So based on this passage, can we really state categorically and unequivocally that YHWH and it alone is the name of God? The point is, we can't obsess about yud Vavhe as if those four little letters are all that there is to his name, but that even though part of his name has now been forgotten, we can still remember his name forever, that he is the God of Israel and he is who he is. The bottom line where it comes to the sacred name is that we can't make emotional arguments and fictitious pronunciations that ignore reality. We have to go with the scriptures we have, knowing that in the same way that we rely upon the books of the Bible as canonized by men, we need to also rely upon the Hebrew texts as enshrined by the Masoretes. These are the scriptures we have in the form in which we must believe that God chose to preserve them. So despite any flaws, since this is the way God did it, then that's good enough for me. So when I speak and write Adonai in place of the name, I don't do it to uphold an ill advised tradition, but because that's what the Hebrew text that I have tells me to say. And I do it with full confidence, knowing that Moses did it first. God's name is holy and worthy to be praised, but He's far more than just one name. He is Yudhe Vavhe, he is Yah, he is Adonai and Elohim, our God. He is Eye Asher Eye, he is El Shaddai, he is El El Yon, God Most High. He is beyond labeling, beyond containing, yet through his Son Yeshua, we can know him and call him Abba Father. Everyone who calls on the name of Adonai will be saved. What else is left to say but Baruch Hashem? Bless his glorious name. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much needed donations. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, share, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped having been completed for every good act. Shalom.